welcome to episode three of Breaking Lines. You are joining us again for the third time, hopefully. Uh, my name is David Van Quarter, and I have with me again Simon Cockle. Hello. And Jay Ward. Hello. We also have a special guest who you will hear a lot more from in part two, John Gahori. Hello, uh, hi. Who is a well published poet, and we will be hearing from his new book uh, very soon. Uh, the other thing about today is that we have a theme. I know we, we, do, we do like a theme, don't we? So the theme uh, this week is going to be political poetry. So it might get controversial. So fasten your seatbelts at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but before we start, just a quick uh, what we've been doing since last time. And uh, there's been quite a lot going on, hasn't there? We've been... Um, yes, there has, yeah. We've had book launches. We've had poetry readings. prize. We've had mm. readings, yeah. We've had all sorts going on. The main thing that me and Simon were involved with was launches for Aranig Press. Mm-hmm. We had a big launch for our books, um, yes. My Mirror Lake and Simon's River Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was at the Poetry Cafe in London. It went, went very well. How do you it, think that went? I thought it went brilliantly, yeah. It was, it was, it was very memorable. And you were there as well. I was. Jay, I yeah. enjoyed it immensely. Following um, the Arsenal-Chelsea... I was <laughs> keeping yeah, everyone phone, up to date yeah. with the football. Yeah, we noticed. That. <laughs> but um, no, you read brilliantly, and it was a great night. And um, I you. especially enjoyed the wine. <laughs> it was great wine, wasn't it? Paid for by a Renick. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was an excellent night. And then we've also had the uh, the poetry ID launch of our new anthology called mm-hmm. Bright Rail in memory of uh, Dick Copeland, who mm-hmm. we lost in, on Christmas Day last year. Mm-hmm. Long-standing member of the group. And uh, yeah, it's been 20 years now since Poetry ID started, back at David's Bookshop back in, the, back in the day. I joined quite soon after it started, I wasn't at the very first meeting. For all of our sort of more international listeners, David's Bookshop is in lecture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to us it's our universe really, isn't it? But the, the internationally renowned David's the, Bookshop. To the civilians, uh, mm. it's more of a, it's, it's a very lecture-centric <laughs> reference, isn't it? So, Well, you know... But it, I mean, I'm sure you know its its renown is 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 beyond Letchworth, Hitchin maybe. <laughs> and I've, I've heard somebody mention it in Bedford once. Oh God! Yeah. Uh, news travels. Fast, I mean, that's a separate yeah. county. Yeah. <laughs> so we did that, and then and then you guys went and read at the Highlander in Hitchin. We did that so as well. It was the second launch. It was part that. two of the launch, which is a pub. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, that was very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, very hot, small very room. sweaty night. Sweaty night. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, met some new poets. Uh, we did, yes. And this is always good. It's the nice thing about these things when we do open mics is we have new people coming along, and some of them join the group, and you know we find out more about the local mm. groups that are going on. So, if you ever see us advertised and you're in the area, <laughs> and yep. uh, come along to the next one that we do. We're on mm-hmm. Facebook, Poetry ID, uh, as well as Breaking Lines. So follow both and get all the information. Absolutely. So, without further ado, let's get on with the political stuff. Yes, definitely. The way the first part's going to work is we're going to read a poem that we've brought, which is by somebody else, as is the usual format. And then, as a bonus this time, we're going to also read one of our own up-to-date political poems that might be in response to it or fits the theme in some way. We're not going to start with me. We're going to start with Jay. Yeah, I've brought a poem called The World State by G.K. Chesterton. And here it is. Oh, how I love humanity, with love so pure and pringlish, and how I hate the horrid French, who never will be English. The international idea, the largest and the clearest, is welding all the nations now, except the one that's nearest. This compromise has long been known, this scheme of partial pardons, in ethical societies and small suburban gardens. 
the villas and the chapels where I learned with little labour the way to love my fellow man and hate my next-door neighbour. Quite a witty poem, I always think. I think basically with this poem, he's pointing out uh, the hypocrites, you know, who say on one hand that they love mankind, but on the other, they hate the French. So there's that clash between um, idealism and um, what people really think. I think it was written before the notion of globalisation. I think it might be in reference to the League of Nations and that gap between after World War One, The world was struggling with how to... Um, cope with what happened and so um, in a political sense there is those two veins of uh, thinking I find it an amazing poem really because I think it's so clever that he's able to take something that is a world event but also reduce it down to the small suburban gardens and what people are thinking in relation to those huge events that are far away and I think also it was written for newspapers as well. And I think using newspapers, poetry in newspapers, is a way of getting politics into poetry. It's which paper will mm. publish which poem. Mm. Um, it's something to always bear in mind. The source of where you're reading your poetry sometimes mm. to add to the meaning of it. Those are the main points really about that poem. You mentioned it was witty and I do like the way that it's, it uses humour. Uh, yeah. to make make its point but if you read it face value you know irony free you'd think this is pretty dodgy mm. but it's the lightness of touch allows you to sort of see through that and see how the point he's trying to make you know, yeah i mean it's not an attack on the french no. far from it <laughs> it's just using that as an example of this mm. next door neighbor that you don't get on with like if yeah. in your real life you know Oh, I love my neighbourhood and I want to keep it clean and pretty, except for the guy next door, 57, who does my head in at night. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it, it yeah. is, is that clash of reality and idealism. I think it's so well caught in that poem. I mean, I'm a huge fan of him anyway, so I'm a little bit biased. I think we need to be reminded of the use that you can say things in an ironic way and, and, and <laughs> to make a point. I think we've lost that a bit, particularly in the internet age where mm. uh, and the Twitter age, where yeah. anything you say, if, if, you, if it's not contextualized suddenly you're, you're demonized for it you know? and i think yeah. this has come out a lot recently mm. uh, people have lost this idea of think of the context think of the what's really being said they don't, they don't mean it you know they think about just because the words are there it doesn't necessarily mean that's that's your brand well that's a good example recently yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, think of it if it if what somebody's writing sometimes think of it if it's like with a wink of the eye as well yeah. you know or it's that f horrific sort of postmodern irony but mm. that you're right there has been something lost because the way people just process language on a screen you know and it's very easy to react you have to take your time when you're reading these things but it's so easy now because social media is so accessible that people just give their reaction and go but they don't realize they've left a footprint there as well and sometimes that can be really negative what builds mm. up as well as all gets, the positivity there. So, it mean, gets amplified. Yeah, it gets amplified when things become... are given too much value, almost. Any kind of, like, nastiness that comes out. Uh, Shall we move on, then? Shall the next, next mm -hmm. poem? Yeah, Simon. I'm going to read a poem from a, an anthology called Poetry on the Picket Line. I, I saw this group of poets read at the Free Verse Poetry Fair in London uh, last year. And they made quite an impact. There's a lot of performance poetry. There's one poem I do remember by a poet called Janine Booth. And she's written a poem called Sides. 
I'm going to read that now. Just before the sun raises its head above the parapet, one side of the sky is light, the other horizon dark. We stand by a tree whose trunk has a carpet of decorous lichen on one side, the other side plain and furrowed with bare and turreted bark. The road was deserted for most of the night, but now that the traffic is starting, the middle of the highway is no longer a safe place to stand. So take to the pavement alongside the fence, which is tall and robust and so narrow, that even the neighbourhood cats cannot sit there and must choose a side where they land. There's no amber on pedestrian crossings, there's only red or green. So you have to cross, or not cross, there's nothing in between. Come to the gate where we stand in a line, with armbands and coffee and official picket sign. This isn't multifaceted, this is no polygon, this line only has two sides. Which one are you on? What I like about that poem is it's so direct. Initially it starts off quite uh, ambiguous and figurative, but it's just simply a, a set of metaphors that basically say, whose side are you on? You know, that there are sides and you have to choose one of them. It's interesting that we were talking just now about how people in the age of outrage find things to, to be angry about on an almost second-by-second basis. And I suppose it is that idea about taking sides, that there, there seems to be no middle ground, there seems to be no mediation, that we are on one side or the other. I think in, in some senses that's that's a good thing, but in other senses, because people don't compromise and won't discuss and won't try to find a middle ground, that I think is, is part of the problem that we have in society today. But shouldn't political poetry, should it but be more direct? Should, mm. should you believe in what you're writing about? I think if you're very passionate and you have an emotional bond with the subject matter, I, I think that poetry is polemic isn't it in the way that it it's written but there's that quotation isn't it campaign in poetry and govern in prose mm. and i think it's interesting isn't it poetry takes emotions and it amplifies them but when we actually sit down and think about the world around us we do that in a more prosaic way i think poetry does force you to pick a side just that idea of sides which side are you on are you brexit or are you remain I love that poem. I love that image of the fence being too thin for the cat. That's a nice little comical image, mm. but also um, brilliantly captures that feeling yeah. that the cat needs to land somewhere, you know, which side. I, I was going to say about grey areas, because I think this is mm. what... The, the, the Sitting on the fence is mm. another, another kind of euphemism for you haven't made up your mind. Yeah. But at the same time, being on the fence... As this poem explains, you, is, to be there. you have you have chosen to be there because you've realised that it's a nuanced mm. argument. Mm. There's things going on all the time, and you can look from your fence. You can look to both sides, and you can make a judged, you know, a, a yeah. decent decision about. It gives you what an you avenue do. of patience, doesn't it? Yeah, it gives mm. you a stopgap mm. to to take in both sides. And this isn't just about Brexit or whatever. It's about life. You know, you yeah. have to, you have to take that middle ground in life just mm. to kind of look and, and to judge yes <laughs> i think that's what this poem that's why i like this poem because it's sort of it it, mm. it goes wider than just about but i mean it talks about picket lines and things but it's it's mm. about more than that it's about all the decisions that we make you mentioned emotion mm. and the role of emotion and anything you know some political causes in some people it sets them to attend straight away mm. or, as soon as something's mentioned and rightly so if they mm. passionately believe in it but there's this thing with political poetry 
in terms of comparing it to a more kind of like a natural state of poetry, which mm. is like commenting on beauty mm. or commenting on like emotions that you mm. of love and those sorts of things, mm. does political poetry does it sometimes mar? Can mm. it mar beauty? Can you have beauty and regard for um, objects, but also put them in the, in a political sense? And does one negate from the other if you do? Politics is ideas, isn't it? Politics is about concepts and theories. It's not flowers and trees and sky and daffodils, is it? Unless it's so environmental I, politics. Yeah, unless it's a flower, the flower <laughs> yeah. part. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but the, you I have got po- nothing to say now. That's such a brilliant thing. I'm, I'm just going to stop now. Absolutely levelled. <laughs> no, I agree <laughs> with the point. That discussion. No, the point is that politics can be about anything. You can it widen. Can be, yeah. The politics is us. Is about life. Is about how yeah. we live and how. Where the, where do you draw these lines? You know, where yes. where are the um, and are we breaking them? Yes, this podcast. Nice. That's clever because our podcast. I am going to get a tattoo of that. <laughs> I think it's time for you to read your poem. Fair enough. Now that I've broken the discussion, yes. it's my turn. Okay, now I'm going old school classic. I say that, but this poem was never published in Shelley's lifetime. This is by Percy Bysshe Shelley. This was written in 1819, and the title is England in 1819. So it's exactly 200 years ago. I thought it was very timely that we are mm. exactly 200 years away. Um, it wasn't published until about 20 years later, I think, in, in his collected things that were put together. Uh, There's a, f- a four-volume collection of Shelley uh, in 1839, I think it was. Mm. When I read it, you'll see why it was never published. England in 1819. An old, mad, blind, despised and dying king. Princes the dregs of their dull race who flow through public scorn. Mud from a muddy spring. Rulers who neither see nor feel nor know, but leech-like to their fainting country cling. Till they drop, blind in blood, without a blow. A people starved and stabbed in the untilled field. An army whom liberticide and prey makes as a two-edged sword to all who wield golden and sanguine laws which tempt and slay religion christless godless a book sealed a senate time's worst stature unrepealed a graves from which a glorious phantom may burst to illumine our tempestuous day wow illumine you don't have to know that one, do you? That's, that's a good one. Liberticide. Liberticide. I wasn't liberticide. sure how to pronounce that. I don't know if that's correct. But. That's uh, killing democracy, isn't it? Yeah, killing liberty. I think he invented that. I don't think that's Well, he actual. was a famous libertarian, wasn't he? He was famously champion liberty all the time. Mm. Absolutely. And this was written directly after the Peterloo Massacre of 1819, oh. in which many uh, innocent people were killed as a result of demonstrating for democracy. It was in Manchester, I think, mm. in, in August of yeah. uh, 1819. And uh, yes, it was about 30 people killed, but hundreds were, were injured, mainly by sabre wounds, because they, they were charged by the uh, by mm. mounted. Uh, yeah, it was terrible. And, and Shelley was absolutely appalled by this and uh, and, and this was his response mm. yeah it took uh, another 20 years for it to be to, to be published um and i just think it's great it's, it's spot on it, he doesn't mince his words the shelley scholars see this with ozymandias which is obviously a much more famous mm. poem but it's the same form as a sonnet and it has the same criticism of people in power mm. as, as you find in ozymandias but this is much more direct 
says it like it is really you know um i think he's talking about the arrogance of power isn't he yeah but i like how he kind of pulls it back at the end with the, the final couplet which was just trying to give a say we can change things we can do this we're kind of swamped by all this evil and and terrible corruption in the world and uh, particularly in england mm. um that he's talking about but what is the glorious phantom some people have said that he's talking about the French Revolution, yeah. which was... the know, French again. But it could also just be, you know, this idea of generally improving things, you know, <laughs> the whole way that uh, the Chartist movement, which didn't actually exist at this point, I think mm. they're, they're called the Blanketeers at the time, <laughs> but yeah. uh, that that was rising and it was, mm. was coming. It's a good name for a band, isn't it? The Blanketeers. Blanketeers. <laughs> or the Blanketeers. So, should we move on to yeah. our, our own? Now, what we're going to say, we're going to go quickly back round in reverse and try and read a poem that we have written ourselves, which is either links into what we're t- talking about or to try and bring it up to date. I read this one because I think a lot of the things he's talking about are still applicable today. Yes. But I wrote a sonnet. For me, there, I mean, there are a lot of enemies in the world. One of my bugbears is the media, particularly the preponderance of right-wing media that we have in Britain. So I wrote this about my favourite newspaper of the lot. I should... Uh, start this by saying apologies to elizabeth barrett browning it's called hate mail mail how do i hate thee let me count the ways i hate thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for calm and reason thou art a disgrace i hate thee to a level i despise within myself as sun and mirror fight for morons love you proudly strive for right I hate thee purely, the shackles in me rise whene'er I spy thy wretched, foul, insidious words. I grieve and watch my childhood's faiths laid bare and trampled as you abuse your rotten influence. I hate thee with the breath, screams, tears of all my life, and if God choose, I shall but hate thee better after death. Powerful stuff. So, you haven't got a subscription to the mail, then? (laughs) (laughs) It's born of frustration after reading headline after headline of just hate and bile. In the original, it's love. And I just thought, well, what if I just changed love and just changed all the positive love words Mm. to hate? And suddenly, without changing very much, you can totally flip the coin and and show how it's, you know, it's, Mm. it's two sides of the same thing. It's an echo of Shelley as well, this idea of what if you're gonna, if you're gonna say it say it straight and um, and sometimes you, you have to shout things to get, to get your point across yeah what, what, what was that about five years ago you wrote that uh, yeah yeah something like that yeah has it got any better <sighs> no <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm not sure where to start really but you know um, I, I just think you know it, it, if you have a mouthpiece and you're going to influence a lot of people mm. make sure that your, your your heart's in the right place because if it isn't you end up with a, in a very dangerous situation where you're just influencing people day after day and we have what we have now and of course i think it's really interesting that the peterloo massacre led almost directly to the creation of the manchester guardian if you fast forward 200 years the press is now in a very different place than it was then and regarded in quite a different way yeah that's it's a great little twist on uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And, um, I'm yeah, sure she wouldn't mind. Poem. No. <laughs> because, in her, you know, if she was alive today, they might have written about her in a negative manner. I'm sure they would. So, I'm on her side. Okay, I'm going to read a poem that I had published in the London Progressive Journal online. It's a poem about American politics, really, but um, 
I think in this country we see lots of school shootings and so on and, and there's the, the usual pattern of the discussion about whether there should be gun control in, in America and then it all goes away for a couple of months and then there's another one and it's the same pattern again and again. So I thought I'd write about that. This is a poem called If Guns Could Sing. If guns could sing, they'd sing country and western and pine for the bullets they held. Then lost in the dark one rainy night, though warmth still clings to the grip. Or the trigger itch on a Friday when you just got real paid in the pool hall with a head full of whiskey and sin and righteous havoc to wreak. If guns could sing, they'd sing country and western and sing us all to sleep. I mean, I, I wanted to write about these these atrocities, but I just thought, you know, what, what what exactly can you do with a poem that could convey the horror of, of what goes on in the States with these mass shootings? So I just thought I'd come at it from a completely different angle. And, and obviously in North America, they love their country and Western. So I just imagine if guns could sing, what would they sing about? It's a strong lament, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lamenting in there. Yeah, I've tried to write it a bit like a country and western song as well, so I'd yeah. like to put that kind of imagery in. But yeah, I mean, it's an angry poem, but it's like a kind of quietly angry poem about... What was it you say, real paid? Get real paid. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. But sometimes, you know, there can be a real strength in quietness. Yeah, what I was saying mm. about shouting poetry, it, it, you, yeah. sometimes that's required, but sometimes that doesn't work so well because people switch off if you're not, yeah. if, you're, if you're yelling at them people just well, stop it's, shouting at me It's just putting a little idea into people's heads just before they go to sleep Tread, was it, tread, tread. softly and carry a big stick It, it is that, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I agree I wrote a poem about Grenfell Tower awful disaster that happened about two years ago It was, um appeared online a place called the london progressive journal i was so shocked by that event like a lot of people then just the image of that burning tower is in my memory the pain of what the people must have been viewing and feeling and seeing um, and then finding out afterwards that they had actually the residents had warned the council or the people in control of that building that they had very huge concerns mm. about the safety aspects of it so i wrote this and it's called class action this unrequited love is nothing new. I sent you many letters, many times, about this burning condition. Unfairly caught, I have to ask now, straight up, did you know? Were my tears supposed to stop the fire? Was I always a tower to fall? And I wanted, I wanted to sort of work with that idea of being ignored and unloved but having something to say. And it reminded me of uh, unrequited love. And that's pretty mm. much it, really. So mm. I had to get that off my chest. I like how it takes that personal aspect and kind of imbues it to a, a, a news tragedy, you know, something that's actually happened, but you've, you've taken the personal and you've said, well, what, what if the tower was... You've imbued it with human a- yeah. attributes. Yeah. Well, you have to be so human, don't you, in response to those disasters. Mm. And put aside politics while it's happening at the time let that come later remember the emotions that you felt mm. and then i was just so shocked they're just so shocked you know that they knew or they'd been warned mm. and still didn't do anything it's terrible to think that something like that might 
happen again because how many other situations are there where people just don't care about other people's well-being yeah mm. i think that underlies the point we we're making earlier about mm. the personal and the political are intertwined, intertwined yeah. they are, they are yeah. one, one the same and your poem underlines that very well yeah i try and i try to use language like straight up it reminded me of a tower but also it's like honesty yeah. there's that kind of use of words that, apply to the object as much as to what you're feeling and the directness of what you're trying to say yeah okay we should move on to the workshop and so workshop number one then this is what we're going to do is uh, we're going to play a little bit of music and in that time or you can pause the music and, and take as much time as you want we're going to get you to write a poem and we're all going to have a go at writing a poem too and the brief for the poem is to write one about brexit but you mustn't mention Brexit. You mustn't mention anything at all political. You can't use any political words. You can't say left wing, right wing. You can't say government. You can't say anything in your poem that would be recognisable as anything to do with politics. But it must be about Brexit. Okay, and it can be either being a Brexiteer or a Remainer or Ramona or whatever you want to write about as long as it's about Brexit. And you have approximately the time that it takes Mississippi John Hurt to sing his song Frankie, which goes a little bit like this. Dark 
was denied, coal was on the ground. The last word I heard Frankie said, I'm little Albert down. He's my man, and he done me wrong. Tell no story, and I ain't gonna tell no lies. Well, I would pass about an hour ago. Look good, you call Alice Pride. He's your man, and he done you wrong. Well, thank you, John Hurt, for that musical interlude. Mississippi John Hurt. <laughs> John Hurt. <laughs> I think he was an ancestor. Oh, I think they were definitely related. Yeah. <laughs> and while uh, John's been singing to us, we've been writing away on our workshop. Uh, welcome back, by the way, this is part two of episode three of Breaking Lines. I'm still David Van Corter, and we still have Simon Cockle. Hello. And we still have Jay Ward. Hello. And we also have, in the blue corner, John Gahoy. Hello. Yay! He'll be joining us, and you'll hear a lot more from him very soon, including a workshop poem. But I'll hand over to Simon, because he set it for us. So, if you remember, the idea was to try to write a poem about Brexit that didn't mention Brexit at all, or anything political. I wrote a poem about two words, ingress and egress, which, if you don't know what they mean, is answered in the first two lines of the poem. So this is ingress and egress. Ingress means to gather in. Egress means to leave. Ingress opens welcome arms. Egress has no need. Ingress sets an open door. Egress locks it shut. Ingress ties the threads together. Egress wants to cut. Ingress is collective will. Egress isolates. Ingress has sadly had its day. Egress now awaits. Oh, 12 lines. So I broke the rules of the workshop. Is that about Brexit? (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I always wanted to put ingress and egress into a poem, and I have done. It's about the threads being cut. It's that cartoon, isn't it, of Britain holding its hand out to shake Europe and then cutting it off and then running away laughing. And and Europe has stood there with a severed hand scratching its head going I don't get that at all as most people listening to this podcast won't because they can't see the cartoon you're painting pictures with words I literally am put a link we'll have to put a link well I'll put a link here so people people can click on who's next I'll go next mine is called Castling standing by the river with my farmer friend and her boat she thinks she has the answer regarding the wolf and the goat but my other friend turns up with his crocodile and smile this river is starting to look suspiciously like a moat and they start shooting arrows of argument but this riddle has yet to be answered so why have we all started to gloat it's deep brexit (laughs) (laughs) no it's not about that at all it's about um moats and it is. It's about goats and moats. Yeah. And do you know that problem you have? Oh, yeah. You one have goat go across and the, a yeah. crocodile or yeah. something on the other mm-hmm. side of the river. How yeah. many times will it take for you to cross over or whatever? That's it, yeah. Before they all don't kill each other. <laughs> 
and that's but, Brexit, is it? Well, my friend, turned, someone else has turned up and starts arguing, and then a castle appears and arrows so, are everywhere. So it's, it's all a, going wrong, basically. It's an insoluble <laughs> problem. It's a violent problem. <laughs> it is, yeah, the way you have to make sure every, everyone is, is happy at the end of the process, but nobody can be, because... So many people think they have the workable answer. Yeah. But at the moment... See, Brexiteers, they don't want to even cross the river at all, do they? They're happy to stay on their own side. Well, yeah. See, is it turning into a moat? And the rest of us are just chickens, aren't we? Oh, or cabbages. Set adrift on a rowing boat. I like that one. Thanks. Shall I do the next one? We'll hand over to John for, for his poems as well. So my poem's called Grey Area. There is a room under this house stuffed full of cobwebbed furniture, boxes of ragged introspection, a filing cabinet whose drawers are stiff, its files out of date, its neat lines compromised and sleeping, out of sight. Up here, we shout and scream, shine blinding lights into each other's eyes. That's sometimes how Brexit feels, like having a very bright light shone in your eyes. Again. While somebody laughs maniacally in the background. Oh, I like that one. I remember on Twitter somebody said, um, what's the quickest way to kill a conversation? Mm. And it's just saying, uh, so who did you vote for? If you want to immediately alienate a stranger mm. with small talk, <laughs> just say that straight away. It's a gosh thing, isn't it? Mm. So I was just thinking, you know, this grey area where people meet and come together for the compromise has yes. been locked away and it's forgotten about. And there's That's right. frustration of it all. So, John... Okay, well, uh, there was quite a lot uh, in the first part of the podcast which was to do with the French. And so I've written my workshop poem in French. I've done an English translation. It's not very complicated Mm -hmm. and it's quite short, but I've written it in French for a political purpose, I suppose. And it goes as follows. La nuance est morte. Enfermer son cœur dans un lincée de certitude et ne pleurer pas. Comme au milieu de la Manche, vous chantez vos adieux. And the translation, which doesn't sound so good in English, is Nuance is dead. Wrap up her corpse in a shroud made of certainties. And don't weep now that in mid-channel you sing out your farewells. I think it sounds as good, if not better, in the English. Okay. Good. So did you write it in French and then translate yes. it into the English? Yes, I wrote it in French, yeah, I did, yeah. Wow. But that was a political move in itself. Really. Absolutely, yeah. 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 yeah, I think that's great. You yeah. know, it's, there is a fear, isn't there, that we're going to lose any kind of foreign beauty. Yeah, this is a worry and one of the things which is coming along now. We have become polarised, as you were saying just now. Either or, it's remain or, or leave. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground. In fact, there can't be a middle ground because you have to either stay or leave. You can't both stay and leave. It's got to be one or the no, other. So we're we're yeah. caught in that binary opposition. You know, the grey area in between doesn't exist. No. It's like the uh, Janine Booth poem, you know, which yeah. side are you on? And you've got to be on one side or the other on this. It's going to be difficult for us to solve Brexit here and now. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it is. But that does bring us on quite neatly yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to talking about John's book, actually, isn't it? Um, it? It fits very nice. We have John Curry with us, our guest today. John has published, and I have it here, nine collections and 30 pamphlets, 
which is pretty impressive. R- writing for many years, he's been member of Poetry Eddie for quite a few years. But um, before 2006, that, yeah. Before that, the poets you have any involved with, or still yep. are. Yeah. Anyway. And the, the latest, the latest book to come out is called Squeak Budgie. Perhaps I'd let John explain what it's about and also just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your work. Okay. Well, Squeak Budgie, the title comes from a modernised version of the title of a satiric poem written in 1520 or thereabouts by John Skelton called Speak Parrot. And Skelton wrote his satires really at the expense of Cardinal Wolsey. And I studied Skelton at college years ago and I've always liked the turbulence and the dramatic explosiveness of Skelton's verse. And I felt strongly about Brexit when it came to the referendum. You have to think what you're going to do about it. And okay, you can go on a march and and that's fine and I've been on one march. I felt a strong moral and imaginative urge really to engage with what was going on back in November 2016. The the button hadn't been pressed and it wasn't certain that we would be going, but there were all sorts of manoeuvres and ifs and buts and so on around it. And I set about writing some ideas and poems using um, Skelton's form as a model. A budgerigar against Brexit was the first part of this. And I used the same verse form that Skelton used, Rhyme Royal, which is a seven-line stanza. You rhyme it A, B, A, B, B, C, C. And that's the rhyme scheme. If you want me to read a little bit, I can start A budgerigar against Brexit, which is the first one, Mm, which introduces Pipsqueak, the sort of insignificant little budgerigar who's got a few things to say about Brexit. I am Pipsqueak, the parakeet, fresh out of paradise, like the men or the monkeys who visit you from afar. Call me, hear no good, see no good, tell you no lies, set your conscience to rights, buddy, honest John Budgerigar. In fortune and vogue I am described as a superstar from the A-list of beauty, discerning, wise, wholly refined. There's no calling me birdbrain, given my razor-sharp mind. All the girls love me, mellopsiticus undulans, murmuring tender words while their beloved feeds from the delicate scented boughs of their bare hands on grapes, nuts, cuttlefish, the best quality seeds. How eagerly they open the cage door to look after my needs, with gossip and whispered scandal, every Eve's daughter bringing secrets, caresses, kisses, finger rides, bowls of clean water. My cage is a penthouse, a palace, a parliament decked with mace, an airy resonance chamber, well lit with a sandpaper floor. I listen to people's confessions while keeping a straight face, offer advice, absolution, then fly down the corridor to perch in another place, behind a closed door, en route to a boudoir or a committee room trimmed with velvet that muffles the top-secret deliberations of the cabinet. With hush-hush and tush-tush, I drop beneath ministers' eaves, earwig the Chancellor of the Exchequer behind the scenes. I perch on the Defence Secretary's trident as argument weaves back and forth in the endless discussion of ways and means. You can depend on polychrome pipsqueak to spill the beans now the British people have given their verdict for Brexit and under the Union flag sing Rule Britannia, Patria Resurrexit. 
that's the sort of opening salvo, really, from yeah. the beginning of it. Mm. How much do you feel a political poet? I, I don't. I don't think there's any alternative. I don't think I consider myself as not being a political yeah. poet. When I when I look back, um, the first collection that I had published was back in 1985. It was called A Voyage Around the Moon. A long, long defunct publisher, Harry Chambers, ran an outfit called Peterloo Poets. This was the oh, Peterloo. Wow. He called yeah. it Peterloo Poets mm-hmm. after the Peterloo Massacre. My first two collections were with him. And um, one of the poems that appears there... I wrote it, I know, in 1979. It was first published in um, A Voyage Round the Moon. Was um, was simply called Boat People. And I wrote it because in 1979 there was an exodus of boat people from Vietnam. They were coming out in their boats and, you know, looking for places to stay. Yeah. And a North Hertfordshire district councillor said, I think, that we could take maybe ten people... I mean, there were thousands of people coming yeah. out of Vietnam at that time. Were they, were they, because yeah. we, didn't want, we didn't want North Hertfordshire to become the dustbin of Europe. Really? <laughs> yes, that was that. said. That was said. And I felt utterly ashamed Shame. and indignant. Yeah. Mm. And I wrote a poem called Boat People. This is Boat People from my first collection of poems, A Voyage Around the Moon. Aliens, you threw everything up in a last bid for survival. Homes, businesses maybe... And certainly the last chapter of the book, where things could be read once familiarly, until the oppressor's guns split villages, and rifle butts clubbed freedom to her knees. You bribed, cajoled, exerted influence for that desperate privilege to be refugees. Adrift at sea in the crowded, stinking hulks, you cursed the saviour crook, whose filthy birth bred cholera, exposure, famine, death. Was there no place for you on the wide earth? Deserted islands, fit for no man's home, were suitable for every country's taste. And there, amidst your sewage, you were dropped, a noisome effluent of human waste. Prisoners of temporising, pious lies, your children died marooned on poisoned shores, or starved in cardboard huddled shanty towns while politicians bickered over laws. Until, worn down with shame or affluence, the old world genuflects towards its vanity and parcels out, reluctantly and late, its common obligations to humanity. Now that you are among us, know we are, if not the best, the best that you could find, selfishly just, and meanly generous, teach us the common virtues of mankind. Mm. Um, but it's background, really, mm. to squeak budgerigar. So I suppose, really, from the first collection, you know, I've always had a pretty it's, strong political dimension. It's always to, been there, yeah. Yeah, it's always been part of yeah. the way yeah. I relate to the world. You know, if you relate to the world and you're a poet, being a poet is indistinguishable from engaging with what is out there so, that's how I see it any form of poetry is a political act well in so, a sense it is yeah. I think it is yeah. I think so yeah I mean if you write how shall I love thee let me count the ways that is a political act of a kind isn't mm. it you're saying my feelings are important my emotions matter mm. but this one is very overtly mm. this oh squeak budgie is, is, is totally yeah. totally full on yeah. an engagement with the, the way Brexit has unfolded I was writing it as a sort of commentary in an attempt really to change people's minds 
and to say this is a bad idea, we should think about this differently, look at all the things that are being done in the name of Brexit mm. on the way. So it's quite direct for, for you. Is it a more direct form of poetry perhaps you've written compared to other previous collections? In, in a way, it's more extended. It is direct, but of course it, there's this character Pipsqueak, there's this Budgerigar, yeah. who is... Likes to puff his chest out. Sometimes yeah. me and sometimes not me. Yeah. So uh, the, the line between me and the Budgerigar is, is very blurred. Yeah. Um, what was it like working with the Rhyme Royale? Did you find it constricting or...? It gave lots of opportunities and lots of challenges. Yeah. Um, I discovered that the, the B rhyme yeah. is, is the one that really causes the challenge yeah. because, you know, you could... I, so I started writing a stanza yeah. and the B rhyme will crop up as the second, the fourth and the fifth line. Yeah. And it's getting that carried through to the fifth yeah. line, the third rhyme. You've got to have three rhyming words. Yeah. And I mean, you know, sometimes it was a matter... I don't know where, where there would be... I've just opened a page at random. So I've got harangues, mm. plot, gangs, not, what. You know, that's mm. that's fairly good. But then if you're going to have a if you're going to have Saudi Arabia yeah. as, as your as your rhyme, I rhymed it with maybe a and in Istanbul, Pipsqueak seen unfold something that may be a reason for rewriting UK international yeah. relations, but no doubt will carry on selling weapons to Saudi Arabia although a consulate murder has been, been airbrushed mm. by declarations of authorised hitmen, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, the rhymes were challenging. Well, yeah, yeah I, I'm just you, looking at this this random rhyme. You've got momentum. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've, you've got fundamentum. Yes. And argumentum. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If you're playing with Latin... You well, could, if you're you playing can, with Latin, you know, why you, not? you've got opportunities there, definitely. <laughs> and you, um, you mix up the rhyme royale with songs as well, don't you? Yes. And rap. Yes as, yes, as we as we heard at David's bookshop. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, um, I was going to ask about this because you, yeah. you've got the rhyme morale is the beginning of each section. Yeah, and then you've got the budgie sort of sings a song at he the sings end of each song. section. So yeah. there's twenty four sections, and yeah. each song has got a different uh, different vibe. And some of them are mournful, and some of them are funny. Yes, this sort of thing. Um, yes. So it might be quite nice to hear one of one of those, one of the songs. Yeah, which the, one would you like to hear? Pick a number, any number between <laughs> one and twenty four. Seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. This was written, this is before Christmas, and in fact, this was finished on the 3rd... I've dated when they, were, when they were written. So this was written between the 28th of November and the 3rd of December. And this is the um, disputes about the, with, the draft withdrawal agreement. So it leads into Christmas, and it goes like this. The Brexit bells go ting-a-ling-a-ling for you, but not for me. Teresa, where's thy sting-a-ling-a-ling? Oh, may thy victory... Johnson has had his fling-a-ling-a-ling with you, but not with me. Oh, Boris, you won't bring a ling a ling your side to victory. The Brexit bells go ding-a-ling-a-ling for you, but not for me. Theresa, where's thy sting-a-ling-a-ling? Oh, may thy victory. Rhys Mogg has done his thing-a-ling-a-ling for you, but not for me. But Jacob can't quite swing-a-ling-a-ling that sought for victory. Here comes Grayling, Grayling-a-ling-a-ling, arriving late again. His Brexit plans failing-a-ling-a-ling, he's missed the Brussels train. Come gather round in a ring-a-ling-a-ling and huddle round the stove. The Herald Angels sing-a-ling-a-ling to comfort Michael Gove. The last round bell goes ting-a-ling-a-ling, the champ goes down for three. Though Brexit's still her thing-a-ling-a-ling, she's far from victory. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a sort of 
spoofy sort of rhyme. And it's got little Latin tags sort of along the yeah. margin as well. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of Latin in it. I wondered if you might be able to explain... Um, <laughs> Uh, why? Because you can uh, uh, you can read it yeah. and just ignore all the Latin and yeah. it's fine and you get it and everything's fine. Yeah. But when it keeps cropping up, yeah. um, it's a bit. I mean, to an, yeah, if someone just opening the book at random, they go, "Oh my, <laughs> oh, my god, oh my god, Latin in here." Latin. Yeah. Why is it there? A, fr- a friend said, "You know, you should drop the Latin. You should, there shouldn't be any Latin in it at all because for every line of Latin, you know, you'll basically uh, cut your readership by." <laughs> 50%, you know. <laughs> but the Latin had to be there because Skelton's parrot is a learned parrot and is, you know, there's, there's Latin, Greek, all sorts of languages come into... My palate is, is very narrow comparatively, but I wanted to give the impression of a learned bird. A mm. budgerigar can be learned and Latin is partly uh, an extension of that. And also, Boris Johnson... There's video footage on YouTube of mm. Johnson quoting great chunks of Greek, I think. He's dropped into Latin periodically to try and sledgehammer people into accepting his ideas. And uh, I felt that he and Maurice Mogg does the same. They shouldn't have a monopoly of classical discourse. I did try to compensate at the end because the parrot appears in the final uh, section of the poem. And he does say the parrot appears just as Pipsqueak is being carried off to face a, a residential tribunal prior to being kicked out of uh, country. The parrot says to him, from the booge of your beak, it is plain we are kith and kin and the values you hold are the very same values I share. Peerless parrot and Pipsqueak, fellow satirists under the skin, serve equality, justice, compassion and truth everywhere. Let obstinate bigots and self-serving politicians beware when Papagai Peerless confronts them with what is right or Pipsqueak the Brave holds their shameful deeds to the light. Though your Latin limps lamely and it's clear you have little Greek to grace verse-making with, your own native language suffices. Plain words deliver plain truth when you open your beak and classical rhetoric's left to her own devices. Your sturdy vernacular needs no anagnorices, no stagirite apothems lending you spurious weight. Indignation's authentic when poetry tells it straight. So, you know, he gets an earful from Skelton's parrot at the end of the day. <laughs> Do you think when you're using yeah. Latin, you're harking back to a wisdom, perhaps, from previous times that's coming um, out through that language? I suppose there's a sort of, yeah, there's a leavening of that. Yeah. that. That does come into some of it. A lot of the Latin can be translated back from Google Translate quite easily, you know. Yeah. So. But you're not going to do that, are you, if you're reading the poem? Well, I noticed that there were kind of in-jokes as well within it. It's not there straight are. Latin. No. Obviously, you... Looking at this from the Brexit breakfast section, yeah. there's a line which is Gove Cameron Farage. Yes. And it's translated in Latin. I wonder if what, what, what that means. So the stanza goes, On thin sliced sheets of wholemeal bread, spread butter, lard or marge, and cut into little strips, go of Cameron Farage, the idea of little soldiers. So the Latin is, Sinde panem sanum in ophulis tenuis, cut sheets of bread in wholemeal form. If there's no butter, you can put other things on the bread it doesn't make any difference to the taste differentiam non gustatis you won't tell the difference between lard or marge if there's no butter uh, that's the little joke there the last line syndite cultello acrisimitris milites ingloriosos cut little figures of these inglorious soldiers out of the bread <laughs> just a joke 
disowned. Just a joke. Just a joke. Mm. Everything's dated in the book, isn't it? It is. So, was, oh. this was a real, you know, intense piece of work for you. This every day getting up, catching those raw feelings, putting them down. Absolutely. My idea was that I would write it and take it to the wire. You know, when Brexit came. I posted the episodes on Facebook with a view to securing a hundred million followers on Facebook yeah. and persuading some of those to change people and yeah. get people thinking and expose all the there was a lot of corruption and deception and shenanigans at a political level in the course of moving to where we are today, as you know. Of course, it kept getting delayed, didn't it? It kept getting delayed. So did that give you more time to... Well, there, there, was, out, there was outrage stuff. after outrage, you yeah. know, that came up. If I'd wanted it, I mean, I couldn't have asked for more inspiration, mm. but I had to fight pretty hard for space mm. at the laptop to keep going <laughs> and, to, and to write it. The Royal Wedding. <laughs> the visit of Trump. All yeah. about the, well, I was going to say that it, there is that feeling towards the end. It's yeah. like you think, "All oh, right, it's, it's it's ended," and then you go, oh, "No," and there's another stanza, yeah. and another one, and another. I know, and it, and it mirrors the, that feeling of. Is this ever going to end? Is it ever going to end? Yeah, <laughs> it goes on. I believe that yeah. your publishing window didn't fit with the the Brexit window in the sense that you had to get your final manuscript in whilst the Brexit process was still ongoing. Right. Even though you thought that it would be over by March, yes. and therefore you would bring it to a close. Yes. Do you think then that there might be a squeak budgie too, where you actually pick up the story where you left off? I don't know. I started writing writing this and I, I sent what I'd written which was I think only three episodes to Andy Croft at Smokestack and he said I like this very much he said I'll, I'll publish whatever you've written by March the 29th 2019 mm. and that was a good way off at that time so that really gave me confidence and I knew that what I did write would get published but you're right when it came to March the thing was deferred there's, there's a yeah May I think is the and, final and, and the final one is May yeah. and there was no going beyond that in terms of whether there'd be a, a succession, I don't know. The sequence here ends with Pipsqueak on his birthday, which is my birthday, May the 9th. He gets, amongst the birthday cards, he gets a summons from the government to appear before a tribunal on the count of, you know, is he pretty subject or is he an alien bird? You know, what is he? And so he needs support and, and he needs people to vote, to vouch for him, to back him up. So it's left completely open that... The parrot will come and speak for him. Skelton himself, uh, the ghost of Skelton, will appear and speak for him at the tribunal. The book will be evidence at the tribunal as to whether he should stay or go. And the readers of the book will be the final arbiters of whether he stays or goes. Do you think that poetry in this day and age can actually make a difference? I'm with you. you know, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. But at yeah. the same time, I'm thinking... I think, was it Coleridge who, who wrote once that the poets are the unacknowledged legislators it of the Shelley. world? Shelley. It was Shelley. It was Shelley, yeah. there we go. Yeah. I think it was Shelley who once said... <laughs> <laughs> what, what he meant by that at the time was that they make a difference, but yes. they don't make a difference in the public eye at the time. No. It's sort of, it's later. It's later yes. people come back to them and realise yes. that they had a point, you know, that they were right. And, and Ozymandias yes. is all about this. It's yes. about the artist survived. The artist is still there yes. long after all these other things. Gone. This is very current. It's very now. It's very today. Yes. Do you think, do you want to make a difference? Do you think it can? I do, I do want to make a difference because Brexit is now pushed to the end of October. There is a window within which this could, the book, rather than the Facebook posts, mm. could make a difference. So my hope is that the book would be sufficiently noticed for people to read it and think, yeah, actually, 
this is fun, this is entertaining, it's a good read, but what it says is pretty important, and mm. we should think again. So I'm hoping that between now, the date of this podcast, and October the 31st, that sufficient people will look at it, and that it will change minds. That might be a complete folly on my part. We'll see what we can do. We, we've taken sides then, haven't we? Well, we haven't stated that. You have stated that we you all went like politicians for a minute. Well, I wouldn't go as that far, Simon. <laughs> no, I that's think right. there's some room for a manoeuvre there. But I, but I think I kind of just want it over, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but um, there's over, and then there's over the cliff. Yeah, which is, that's right. Yeah. Um, when you write anything political concerning the country, do you feel a patriot of some kind? Uh, very interesting, yes. I feel that patriotism has been hijacked by people who have a very narrow concept of, as, as to what patriotism is. Yeah. I do feel patriotic, and sometimes, you know, patriotism is best served by criticising the more overtly patriot moves of yeah. flag wavers and xenophobes. There's been various indications in the podcast earlier that xenophobia is rife. You know, we hate the French, we hate migrants. That difference um, between a nationalist and a patriot. Yeah. That kind of argument. There is a big difference. There is a big difference. I'd certainly be a patriot. I'm not a nationalist in a narrow sense. Yeah. Um, I think nationalist is when you think your country is better than yes. every other country. Yeah. yeah. But a patriot yeah. is... That's the sort of Trump view, isn't it, of, yeah. of patriotism. You know, I was become screwed, screwed. Something that a true patriot is actually quite saddened by the state of yes, their country absolutely. most of the time, yes. as opposed to being overtly too yes. aggressive and yes. jingoistic. This process, did you feel those thoughts coming through you? Yes, completely, completely. Yeah, you want to welcome people from other cultures, from abroad, whether they're... I could read a section, if you like, from Cross-Channel Traffic is a Matter of Concern... It starts by uh, celebrating the new year, and the new year was marked this year by the uh, photograph that was taken by New Horizons, the photograph in this uh, object in the Kuiper Belt, four billion miles away or something. So there's this wonderful object which has been photographed, and data is coming back to Earth, and then it's thinking about people taking shorter journeys. Come today, come tomorrow, and Pipsqueak shifts round on his perch, turns his back on the skies and once more confronts terra firma. The government's picked up on its cack-handed pre-Christmas search for some Brexit solution against which few critics might murmur. But two things in its strategy make Pipsqueak squirm, a so-called major incident with which we must get to grips, and a contract for freight ferries passed to a firm with no ships. Certain small groups of migrants are crossing the channel in boats you'd be foolish to sail across calm recreational water. Shipping lanes are a threat to any small vessel that floats without coast guard or lifeboat or border force craft to escort her. The UK's anti-immigrant wind blows from a hostile quarter and cutting his holidays short, Home Secretary Javid's stance is that cross-channel bound refugees should remain in France. He stresses the dangers involved in a hazardous crossing, the perils conspiring to stop migrants from reaching our shore, the extortionate payments demanded by traffickers tossing the least scruple overboard for €3,000 and more. Then, histeron proteron, he wonders, but can we be sure that these people in dinghies, unfortunate migrants in name, are truly the genuine refugees that they claim? Shame on you, Javid. 
the dangers are real enough, and so is the money demanded by trafficking gangs. But you're disfiguring truth with this disingenuous stuff. Your tongue-in-cheek rhetoric can't hide its poisonous fangs. You know perfectly well that refugee status hangs on a request for asylum placed in the government's hands of the country in which the fugitive finally lands. We take far less than our share of people in need of a refuge, pitching minimal gains against sovereign identity lost. We ramp up the ante by calling a trickle a deluge and sideline discussion of all opportunity cost. In the migrations of argument somewhere, a boundary is crossed. The warm-hearted, generous host is replaced by a sentry, and the sign that once read, Welcome Aboard, now reads, No Entry. And that's followed up with a song about, The channel is wide, you cannot cross over, you have no wings with which to fly. But here's a boat that's bound for Dover, you'll land in Dover by and by. Mm-hmm. Mm. The great thing about this book is it's got a touch of a diary about it. As it well. has, you know what I mean. So yeah. there's so much I think we've forgotten as well. Absolutely, in absolutely, episodes. absolutely. And you remind us of that. You One of the that. things David was asking about is it for the effect, you know, years afterwards. And this is something that I do touch on right at the end. That my hope is that you know whatever happens to Brexit and to us, I have children, I have grandchildren. And I hope that future generations, you know, when they sort out whatever mess is left as a result of Brexit, if it happens, I hope they'll look at this and they'll say, ah, you know, so that's how it happened. That's how it came about. That's how we got here. How we got here. There's a great line in that poem, the psychopomp monster. (laughs) I love that. The psychopomp monster. Can't conceal its indifference. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. It's such a fun word. Yeah. I think that's that's because, you know, it's so dense and so much of it, it's quite, to pick out a line like that, but you could do that all the way through. There's so much going on here. It's a great read and I really recommend it. Squeak Budgie by John Gorey. Look it up, you'll find it somewhere and try and get get hold of a puppy. How is Pipsqueak at the moment? Pipsqueak is uh, partly regretting the fact that he's put the that somebody's <laughs> put the cloth over his cage. You know? oh, no. If he'd been able to go for another three yeah. months, there'd have been a lot of stuff going on <laughs> that he'd have picked up on. He's having a summer break, isn't he? Yeah, so, you know, I he's guess not so. available for autographs at the moment. <laughs> they say. He's going to wake up and, claw. <laughs> as a new prime minister. As a claw. Oh, and he's like, what? Oh, what? What's going I on? Know, I know. <laughs> okay, well, we should move on because we've got a third part to get to. Yeah. There's going to be another workshop continuing some of the things we've been talking about. And the idea is to try to write a chorus for a song which hasn't been written. So the idea is it's a short poem which is going to potentially be a chorus to a song. And the title of the song is the title of John Gahoy's first collection, A Voyage Round the Moon. So that's your challenge. While you do that, we're going to be listening to Charlie Poole and the North Carolina Ramblers group with a lovely tune called Ragtime Annie.
Hello and welcome back to part three of Breaking Lines. Uh, I'm still here. I'm still David Van Corter, and we still have Simon Cockle. Hi. We still have Jay Ward. Hello. And we still have John Gahoy with us. Hi. We've been busy scribbling away, I hope you have as well, on uh, the second workshop of the day. The challenge was to write a chorus for a song entitled A Voyage Round the Moon. This was my effort, I've just called it Moon Chorus. So let's get down, go around and around, keep those zero G's above the ground. The moon is made of cheese, so please tread lightly and don't float away. The stars don't want you anyway. Eclipse, rotate, but come home soon. Don't lose yourself on the dark side of the moon. Oh, that's good. So what song would that be, the chorus of, and what kind of genre of music? It's kind of uh, whatever you want it to be, really. It's got a kind of 60s, 70s vibe, kind of like Hair the Musical, sort of. Sweet. Hey daddy you know. Maybe Sweet. <laughs> what band, the band Sweet? sweet. Yeah. It's, I don't, it's not very, I wouldn't no. say it's a glam chorus. No? A B-side. Could be a B-side, <laughs> yeah. Experimental B-side. It's probably a C-side. It's more Rubettes, really, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Or, or sweet. Sweet featuring the rubettes. Yeah. Or yeah. Or mud. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, who's next? I'll go next. Okay. Round and around. Get mine's down. Pretty, mine's pretty simple. <laughs> this orbit is elliptical, baby. You are my angel. A halo of crazy. This dark side is gravity swoon. Your crescent smile is a voyage around the moon. Nice. I suddenly had a Phil Collins just popped into my head right at the end of that. I'm not quite Phil, sure. Michael Collins. Michael Collins, yeah. Either Phil or Michael Collins could go along with that. <laughs> That's yeah. what Michael was singing when he was in the module hanging above. It's got a kind of 80s vibe to it. Sort of. It is an 80s vibe. On a cassette. Kind of new wave sort of kind of feel to it. Yeah, a bit a bit human league-ish, maybe. Human league, gang of four. This orbit is elliptical, baby. <laughs> <laughs> is that the human league? That's my human league. Was that the, the Phil Oakey or the, the backup singer? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Oakey did, did do the vocals on track called First Man in Space. It's not a human league song, it's um, yeah. All Seeing Eye. And he was a guest vocalist, so there you go. So okay. may, maybe that's what you were trying to channel, even though you've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Well, I'm always trying to channel things I've never heard. <laughs> That's essentially my life. <laughs> right. I took it one step further and I've actually worked out a tune for it, although it's a bit derivative. So I'm going to have to sing now, so <laughs> here we go. Let me take you flying on a voyage around the moon And in our wake we'll leave a string of notes that make a tune We'll circle craters with our spaceship speeding through the stars and plant our love forever with a flag made of hearts. <laughs> kind of, sort of like 50s, 60s, croony kind of. Nice. Kind a little of bit, like yeah. Space age, croony, let me take you on a voyage around Jupiter and Mars type of. Five voyage like around the stars. Fly me to, to the moon, moon and let me yeah. play among stars. Yeah. That kind of thing, yeah. You are what I hope for. And Simon. I like stealing cars. <laughs> and I like to steal some cars. <laughs> anyway, it got very not... urban towards the end there, didn't it? It did, didn't it? Yeah. Did you manage anything, John? Yes, it goes like this. Meet me at eight, no later. We'll find a lonely crater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's all you need. That's it. Uh, 
That's all you need. That's it. That's do it kind of repeat, there, isn't it? repeat to fade. You don't repeat, yeah. It's yeah. got a sort of grunge kind of vibe. There was something about the next eclipse and oh, your yeah. tender lips, possibly, but I didn't yeah. get that far. You could yeah. have said instrumental yes. at that point. Yes. You know, just yes. Like, you know, yes. The old comp mm. out. It's not very good. <laughs> I'll have to work at it. Of course, as with all these workshops, when you listen to this, if you want to, have a go yourself, that's the point, and then send them to us, because this is the point in the show where we do feedback and listener contributions. Uh, have we had any contributions since last week? We've had some letters and emails. We like those. Yes, right, please. well, I've been rummaging around in the vast bag of letters that we've had, and I've picked out two. Only t- well, Just two, because all the, the other 7,000 yeah, <laughs> were, were any good. So... This is a query from Mr. Dreyfus of Kendall, who says, how much can you earn as a full-time professional poet? (laughs) So, obviously, Mr. Dreyfus is is interested in seeing if he can establish a career. John? Don't ask me. (laughs) Forms hate me, I should think. Uh, Not much more than that. As a many times published poet, is there any money in poetry? I don't think there is. Um, No, certainly not. Somebody said poetry is the fastest way to starvation. (laughs) I can't remember who said that. I think for Mr. Dreyfus, I think the answer is virtually nothing. I won a, a competition online and I won $120. So that's the most I've ever made out of writing a poem. I've recently made some money out of a poem. I got second prize in the Ver Poets Open competition. Oh, yes. uh, and that's the most I've ever won. Would it be indecent to ask you how much you won? I, I got £300. Good Lord. For, for second place, which I, did surprise me. And <laughs> but, we've had to bring our own biscuits today. Well, <laughs> they charge 18 quid a year for membership. I should have just given my 18 quid. No, I'm just going to take those biscuits back, if that's all right with you. <laughs> to point out to Mr Dreyfus that this is not a common occurrence... <laughs> <laughs> and this is rather unusual in my life to get yeah. that much money for a poem. I previously come second in a prize two years ago. I think I got 150 for that. That was my previous record. But before then, a lot of you're in the anthology kind of thing was about yeah. the best yet. To get that sort of thing, I mean, there were about 800 people entered poems yeah. to this. Yeah. It's really only the top three that What's get yeah. anything out of it. What's the average it's amount of very like difficult. prize winning? In total, for the prize, I mean, if they're getting hundreds of entries, then yes, I think Ver can afford to pay. I think it was 600 to the winner, 300, and then mm-hmm. 100. I think that's how it is. But <coughs> they, you need hundreds of entries to be able to afford It's that. about £5 an entry. Yes. There are lots of free competitions out oh, there yeah, yeah. to look for. Yeah, but you don't tend to win, win very much when they're free competitions. It can be done. And in terms of book publishing, I mean, if you can get your money back, you're doing quite well. It's really yes. not a route to... You don't go to the job centre and, like, can I have no. any jobs for poets? No. I think most poets who make a living out of poetry do other things related to it, you know, like yeah. tutoring, university things, being invited to... Going to schools. Going to school. Yeah. <laughs> Getting paid for a day doing workshops at a school. But not... to get to that position, you need to have yeah. some books out there, and yeah. then though the books are not going to make you money, it's the and also, kudos that I goes guess with it. connections in terms of, like, magazines or things that know you're a name and they want you to sometimes contribute to something, they'll pay you. That's quite rare, but it does happen, I think. I think the vast majority majority of poets do it for the love of the language yeah. I think because why else would you well, do you it you wouldn't do it for anything else <laughs> no that's right no. No. if, if oh, you want well. to make money out of your writing film scripts maybe writer. that's sort of more lucrative but even that is hard to get into you're more likely to see a return on your words per page yes well hopefully Mr Dreyfus you had your question answered there and the second question comes from a Mrs Fulmer of Dover who says it's quite sad my cat has died and she asks, what poetic form should she choose to commemorate it with? 
I'd probably go for an elegy. Yeah, an elegy. That, that, would, that would be the first thing yeah. I'd... That's my go-to whenever. Would you call an elegy a, a form, though? Isn't it a matter of approach? Is it not divided yeah. into three <coughs> sections? Isn't there, like, a thesis and then a, okay. there's a second section and a okay. third section? I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I've got that mixed up I with something know. else. I think I'd say keep it right from the heart and yeah. keep it, probably not rhyming, write something in a syllabic form which expresses your affection for the cat. Although cat is a very easy... Word to rhyme. <laughs> That's the problem. It's too easy to rhyme. If Mrs. Fulmer is not great at poetry, if she went for rhyme, she's going to be all right. With if Mrs. Fulmer can count from one to seven, she'd be safer with syllabic yeah. Japanese form like a haiku or a yeah. tanker, wouldn't she? She doesn't mention whether she has dyscalculia or, or anything like no. that. So, okay. uh, My advice with form is trying to link it to the theme and the subject of what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. So, for example, a cat, like a nine-line stanza would... Yeah, that would be... But, yeah, it's just one idea. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I agree that trying to rhyme when rhyming is not working or you're not a particularly experienced poet, right? yeah. a rhyme can often cheapen it and it yeah. just makes it sound too simplistic, yeah. Yeah. which takes away from the emotion that you're trying to get behind. Because obviously, if you feel something really deeply, and then when you write the poem, and it just comes across as as, as dog rule, which it can do, yeah. or cat rule. It takes away from the, the point that you're trying to do, and, and yeah. suddenly it, it, it cheapens it. And it's not your fault, it's not mm. your fault because you're just not experienced at doing it. It's very hard to rhyme and be sincere. That's yeah. actually a lot harder than it sounds. Unless you're like a small child, and they, they like rhyme. Mm. I know children that have written rhymes for their pets. You know, it's good for them. Well, as long as it comes across yeah. as sincere, yeah. it's fine. Mrs. Fulmer, just by the appellation of Mrs. suggests that she's of marrying age so that puts her above the general cut-off point for children yeah i'm not telling her to do a childlike cat rhyme unless the cat was childlike in its prime (laughs) i'm sorry i don't know what's happened to me then but i wouldn't be put off writing the poem certainly go ahead and do it because it means something to you then then do it well hopefully mrs former has got lots of advice there and i think that's all the letters that we have Okay. Jay, you had some feedback on... Yeah, my mum's complaining about the music. (laughs) So, you know, I'm fine with it. It'll be interesting to see what she made of today's music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's not going to like it. No. No. No, I tell you but she might now. like Mississippi John Hurt or even John Hurt. <laughs> she, <laughs> she might likes John, like Hurt, John Hurt. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how you might speak. I'm just doing a general voice. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that John Hurt did songs as well. Yeah, yeah. He sounds oh, yeah, different to does how he doesn't. Didn't know he was from Mississippi either. Wow, he doesn't talk about it much. But we're not right. going to change it, are we? Well, we like no. it. As, as we mentioned in our very first broadcast, we can't really play the sort of music that we want to play that yeah. we kind of, we're enthusiastic about because of copyright issues. And suddenly with podcasts as soon as you start playing Taylor Swift Taylor Swift or your latest Ed Sheeran classic um, who we all love obviously we have to pay them lots of money (laughs) and as we previously mentioned poetry is not the the way to go if we want to make a lot of money I quite like the old old timey wimey songs well we're reading old timey poems from Shelley etc so yeah that fits but you know it we, we could cast our net a bit further but we could get some more up to date there's more 30s modern and stuff. 40s music <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, could, we could start hitting World War 2 at some point couldn't we <laughs> I had a friend who asked me the other day um, who invented poetry is that a question yeah, he just asked me really yeah was it the Greeks? I think the Greeks did, didn't they? I don't know I, I was just stunned by that question I was like they invented almost I just assumed everything it was there, there. 
Yeah, from the probably, probably the Greeks. Isn't poetry derived from a Greek word meaning something you don't get paid a lot for? Rhymey, wimey. Probably. Yeah, I'm sure. I look, while, while you people talk, I'll, I'll look it up on Wikipedia and see what it says. I think obviously he was joking with I it, think it but... derives from the ancient Greek word meaning uh, emptying the train carriage. <laughs> poetry the term derives from a variant of the greek term poesis meaning making is a form of literature that uses aesthetic and rhythmic qualities of language such as phon aesthetics sound symbolism and meter to evoke meanings in addition to or in place of the prosaic ostensible meaning are we taking notes here this could be a good blurb yeah. for the podcast. This, that was very good. Cool. Yeah, sell it, it was, to me. It? Yeah. It's quite a so it comes from, from, a, some of that. from the Greek term meaning making. Which is what we do. We uh, are. We're making a We are making so. and we are breaking. Breaking lines. Yeah, and they it? are quaking. <laughs> We're just going to let you know what's coming up between now and our next podcast. Simon had a thing. Yeah, I've got a poem published in September, but I guess the next podcast will be out before that. But in case people don't realise, it takes an awful long time between being told you're getting a poem published to actually coming out. I think the longest I had was about nine months between being told yay and then waiting nay. nine months for it to appear. Excellent. I'm just continuing to promote Mirror Lake. That's just come out on a Reddick. So. Well, I'm promoting yeah. mine as well. Oh, yes. River Lane. Just yes. subconsciously promote that. But I know John is working on, as well as Squeak Budgie, well, um, yeah. there's there's other projects happening. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a collection coming out. You said it takes a long time. This was promised in 2017 for 2019. This is a collection from Shoestring called Exploring Salmanazar. And it's a string of poems about a guy who came to England in 1704 and passed himself off as a native of Formosa, Taiwan, although he'd never been there. But he produced a whole encyclopedic knowledge, of social background, customs, you know, everything. And notably, he invented a language, Formosan, which he claimed to be able, which he could speak and which he wrote down and he was quite a figure for a while. So I've written some poems about him, 50 odd poems. It's a means really of escaping from this old binary thing of truth and falsehood. I've had a great time writing it and it's been a long time brewing but that's due out in September or October this year. 50 poems about the same subject. That's... Uh, well, you have an interesting life. There's the invented language, there's the period of exploration that he had there's the travels that he was definitely involved in and the work that he did afterwards. He had to make a living somehow and he had all sorts of odd jobs. Um, he became an expert in... He taught himself Hebrew. He was a very interesting character, actually. And his life is bookended by a description of Formosa, which he wrote in 1705, and then a true confession of his forgeries and falsehoods, which he was writing from about 1728 onwards, which his widow had published when he died in 1760-something. A true account at the end of his life and a forgery at the beginning of his life. And so you've got the intermix between mm. truth and falsehood, which is dead interesting. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Great. OK, well. And I've got to go down to the shop. <laughs> so that's what I've got planned. I've got to do some grouting in You're the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Broken grouting I've got to fix. 
I'm, um, I'm sure there's a poem in there. Yeah. I'll wrap it up then, shall I? Thanks once again to John Corey for being our guest. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, that was great. We really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. That was excellent. And what will be our theme next time? We'll have to uh, watch this space. Um, space. <laughs> perhaps it is We're going around the moon this time but if you've got any suggestions for yeah. a theme if it's something you want us to talk about feel free to they get can in touch. email us on breakinglines575 at gmail.com and that's all lowercase and it's all one word so thank you for listening and watch out for the next one bye for now bye bye, bye.